0: Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and in believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honour and glory in all that we do, through Christ Lord, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Today's Bible reading is taken from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14, verses 26 to 39. This is God's word. Fellow children of Abraham and your God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that the message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognise Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, And for many days he was seen by those who had travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, church. The Lord be with you. We continue our study of the book of Acts. Uh, in chapter 13, we find Paul and Barnabas in the synagogue in Pisidian, Antioch. And the leaders of the synagogue have asked Paul to share a word of encouragement. And Paul therefore takes the opportunity to present the gospel to the Jewish worshippers and the Gentile God-fearers there. Now, Paul presents his gospel in three parts. And last Sunday, we learned about the first part in which Paul talks about God's promise of a savior of the world. The world needs a savior because all humanity has sinned and is under the curse of death however the savior would reverse the curse <coughs> excuse me the savior would reverse the curse <coughs> and bring new life to many and this savior would come from the nation of Israel he would be a son of Abraham and also a son of David And this son of David is none other than the Saviour, Jesus. Uh, So Paul now continues his sermon with the second part of the Gospel, which we will study this morning. Uh, Paul will tell the story of Jesus and how Jesus is truly the fulfilment of God's promise of the Saviour of the world. Now, Paul wants his audience to listen carefully, because the story of Jesus is not a sentimental story, neither is it just an inspiring story of human moral courage. No, the story of Jesus is a matter of life and death, spiritually speaking. Now, have you ever been told to listen carefully to some instructions, because failure to do so may cost you your life? Well, when I was growing up, I remembered how my father uh, teaching my brother and I how to change the fused light bulbs in the home. And my father would always caution us switch off the power at the wall before attempting to change the bulbs. Now, you can imagine uh, young teenagers uh, trying to, to fix the bulb, light bulbs without switching the wall, or switching off the power at the wall. So that will be a tragedy. So Paul does not want his audience and us today to end up in tragedy, spiritual tragedy. So we must also listen carefully to what Paul has to say to us. So in verse 26, he says. Fellow children of Abraham and you, God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. Now, this message of salvation is, of course, the gospel story of what Jesus has done for us, to save us from our sins and judgment and give us eternal life. And in the scheme of God's plan of salvation, the gospel is first delivered to the Jews, then... The Gentiles, But now in the synagogue, both Jews and Gentiles will get to hear the gospel together. And in proclaiming the gospel, Paul wants his audience and us today to know three things about Jesus. One, Jesus is often wrongly dismissed, meaning Jesus is often wrongly rejected or not recognized for who he really is. Two, Jesus' death and resurrection were according to Scripture. And arising from uh, the uh, uh, fulfillment in Scripture, the third point that Paul wants us to know is that salvation is in Jesus alone. So let us look at each of these in more detail. First, Paul tells us that Jesus is often wrongly dismissed. Look at the first part of verse 27. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Now we know that in the gospel accounts by John and Matthew and Mark and Luke, during Jesus' ministry, the authorities and the people of Jerusalem had refused to acknowledge Jesus' claim about himself. So Jesus claimed that he was divine. And he told the Jewish leaders that Abraham had rejoiced at seeing him. And of course the leaders thought that this this guy must be mad or demon-possessed because uh, he is not even 50 years old and he claims to be a contemporary of Abraham. And so they say that he must be demon-possessed. How did Jesus reply to him, to to them? Jesus answered them, Before Abraham was born, I am. Suggesting that he, Jesus, was pre-existent. And we know that only God is pre-existent. So Jesus was claiming to be God here. At another time, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah who had come to save the people from their sins. And Jesus told them this, if you don't believe that I am he, that I am the Messiah, you will die in your sins. And yet, again, the Jews ignored his claim. And despite Jesus' teachings and miracles, the people's hearts were hardened and their eyes were blinded. And that is why they could not recognize Jesus for who he was. So they wrongly dismissed him. So today we have the same problem, don't we? Many people refuse to acknowledge Jesus for who he really is. Instead, they come up with their own interpretation of his identity. They say, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a great teacher. But he was not God. And they contradict what Jesus had said about himself. You see, Jesus consistently claimed to be divine. He never gave his his hearers another option. And so we have to decide whether Jesus was being truthful or not. And as C.S. Lewis says, for someone to claim that he is God, Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is indeed the Lord God. And we know that Jesus did not behave like someone who is mad. And Jesus did not behave like someone who who has no integrity. In fact, uh, Jesus had no fault about him. He was without sin. And therefore, we can conclude that the third possibility is the only option. Jesus must be the Lord God. But skeptics refuse to go along with such a logic. They argue that that this logic is not really sound. Why? Because they say that there is a fourth possibility. He can either be a lunatic, a liar, Lord God, or he can be a legend a legend, that the divine Jesus is a, was a legend, a made-up claim. So these skeptic, skeptics argue that Jesus never claimed to be God, but his followers made up that claim. They made up that story that Jesus was God. But we know that this is highly unlikely because his followers had initially a hard time believing that Jesus was divine. And being Jewish themselves, the apostles would never thought of inventing the idea that God became a man. And so the real reason why skeptics refuse to recognize Jesus for who He really is, is because they do not want to worship Jesus as Lord. They want to have nothing to do with the divine Jesus just like the rulers in Jerusalem the rulers refused to recognize Jesus as the lord and messiah and instead they wanted him dead so we come to Paul's second point about Jesus his death and resurrection were according to scripture and what this means is that Jesus death and his resurrection were the fulfillment of Old Testament promises and prophecies. Now, when the Jewish authorities could not find a legitimate reason to have Jesus killed, uh, they conspired to condemn him. And they asked Pilate to have him executed on a cross. Yet, in condemning Jesus to death, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Now, these prophetic words are mainly in the Psalms and also in the book of Isaiah. And in this, the, the Psalms and the Isaiah, the prophets point to the sufferings of the Messiah, the sufferings of the Messiah who, who would die on behalf of his people to bring healing, healing of their spiritual deadness due to their sin. But Jesus did not remain dead. God raised him from the dead. And the resurrected Jesus was witnessed by his disciples, and the the disciples interacted with him. Uh, And so we look at verses 29 to 31. Uh, Paul tells us this. Uh, They took him down from the cross and laid him uh, in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Now the disciples were not the only witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Scripture also testified to the resurrection. In the Old Testament, God had already promised that the resurrection of Jesus would take place a thousand years before it happened. And Paul gives, gives three citations of the Old Testament to prove this point. First, he quotes from Psalm 2 in verses uh, 32 to 33. Paul tells them, we, we tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Now Paul is making reference to the promise God had made to David when David became king. God promised David that one of his offspring, a son, will be God's son and God will be his father. And this son will be the Messiah, the forever king, who will establish his forever kingdom. And Psalm 2 tells us about this forever kingdom of the Messiah. It tells us of how the hostile rulers and kings of the world will gather their forces to try and oppose the Messiah and seek to be liberated from God because the rulers and the kings of this world, they want nothing to do with God and his Messiah. Now isn't this also happening now, today? You see, many societies becoming hostile to Christianity because they see Christianity as oppressive, they see Christianity as dangerous to people who want to be true, to live out their heart's desires. And so they reject Christianity, they reject the Christian God, and they reject Jesus because they want to be free to do whatever they want. But they are foolish and they are short-sighted because they have not read Psalm 2. Because Psalm 2 goes on to say that all the worldly rebellion against the Messiah will be futile. And God who sits in heaven sees this rebellion and he laughs and scoffs at them. They will not succeed. The rebellion will not succeed against the Messiah. Why? Because God has installed him to be the forever king. Now, to be the forever king implies that the Messiah has overcome death. It is no point to be a forever king when death can end your reign, right? So to be the forever king implies that the Messiah has been raised from the dead. And having been raised from the dead, God affirms the Messiah before all the rebellious people and say, You are my son. Today, I have become your father. And so the resurrected Jesus fulfilled God's promise to David. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus has defeated death to be the forever king. Now to prove that Jesus has indeed defeated has indeed truly defeated death Paul gives the second Old Testament quotation from Isaiah 55 and the third Old Testament quotation from Psalm 16. And we find them in verses 34 to 35. And God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. And so it is also stated elsewhere you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now, we know that when the body dies, it begins to decay, it begins to decompose. And this will happen to every one of us. When we die, our body will decompose and we will return to dust. Now, scientists can give us the scientific reasons why the body dies and decomposes. But the Bible tells us that the reason we die and our body will see decay is because there is sin. There is moral decay inside us, inside our heart. So our moral decay will result in our physical, bodily decay. And we inherit this moral decay from our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. And no one is spared this moral decay. Not even King David, the greatest of the kings in, the Old Testament, in, in Old Testament Israel, the one who was described as a man after God's heart. Well, when King David died, Paul says, he was buried and his body saw decay. And why? Because David was a sinner. There was moral decay in his heart and he went the way of bodily decay common to all humanity. But not Jesus, because Jesus was different. Paul tells us in verse 37 that when Jesus died, Jesus was spared the bodily decay, and he was raised to life. This meant that Jesus had no moral decay in him. Jesus never sinned. He was fully obedient to God. And so when Jesus was crucified, his death was not for some crime he had done. No. Jesus' death was to pay the penalty for the moral decay of the world. He died on the cross to pay for the penalty of the moral decay that is in you and that is in me. You see, on the cross, Jesus had no sin. Jesus who had no sin died for our sins to bring us into fellowship with God. And this leads us to Paul's third point in the story of Jesus. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. And this is Paul's application point to his audience. And it is also the application point for us this morning. You see, the story of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection must point us to rightly recognize who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Through Jesus, the curse, of, the curse of death has been supplanted and overtaken by the blessing of life. And even though we will still experience a physical death and our body will see decay, we will live again, forever, because we will be clothed in a new resurrection body that is imperishable. And as believers, we will participate in the forever kingdom, ruled by the forever king, in which there will be no more death, no more pain, no more tears, but only everlasting joy, everlasting life, peace, and pleasures in God's presence forevermore. And this is what salvation is all about. And this offer of salvation is received through belief in Jesus. And Paul does not want his audience in the synagogue to miss out on this salvation. He wants them to believe in Jesus. So he gives this invitation in verses 38 and 39. Uh, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Now, Paul's invitation is also given to all of us here this morning. When we believe in Jesus, we receive Two blessings, two spiritual benefits. One, our sins will be forgiven. And we read this in verse 38. You see, our sins, the moral decay in us, have separated us from fellowship with God, and we have become His enemies, and we will face His judgment. Therefore, the forgiveness of sins is humanity's greatest need. It is your need and my greatest, your greatest need and my greatest need. Yet many people wrongly think that we don't need the forgiveness of sins. They either downplay the seriousness of sin or they distort the character of God to say that God is love and in his love he will overlook all our sins. No, God will not overlook our sins. He is a God of justice, and justice demands that our sins be punished. Now today we hear of the constant demand for justice, justice for the wrongs done by previous generations. And we also hear of sports celebrities and movie stars being brought to justice for sexual assaults and rapes they committed 15, 20, 30 years ago. So their crimes have caught up with them and they face prolonged jail time. Now, if human justice seeks to catch up with past crimes, how much more would divine justice seek to catch up with all the past sins that you and I have committed and we cannot escape divine justice it will finally catch up with us when we die and we will pay for the sins we have committed against God we will pay for the sins we have committed against our fellow human beings and there is no escape Unless someone who is without sin pays for the punishment for our sins. And there is that someone. That someone is Jesus. Only Jesus is without sin. And because Jesus was without sin, He died to take the punishment for... uh, He died to take the punishment our sins deserve. As a result our sins are forgiven, and we are spared from God's judgment. And so this is a spiritual benefit, a really good spiritual benefit when we believe in Jesus. Now the second spiritual benefit is the crediting, or to use the word, imputation, imputation, the crediting of Jesus' righteousness to us So we read this in verse 39. Verse 39 says, Through him, through Jesus, everyone who, who believes is set free from every sin. This is righteousness. And Paul says, this righteousness or justification, you cannot get it by observing the law. Now we need righteousness. We need righteousness to be in fellowship with a holy God And we can obtain righteousness in one of two ways Either we earn righteousness Through our own efforts, through good works, through good behaviour And through observation of the law And this is called works righteousness Or we can receive by faith the righteousness that flowed from Jesus' sinless life and from his perfect obedience to the law. And this is called faith righteousness. So we can either receive um, or, or earn righteousness through our good works, or we can receive righteousness from Jesus through faith. Paul tells us that works righteousness, the righteousness we try to obtain for ourselves by observing the law, cannot bring us into fellowship with God. Or to use the biblical language, works righteousness cannot justify us before God. And this is because we are sinful and whatever we do is tainted with the sin of our lives, as the sin in our lives. But faith-righteousness is different. Faith-righteousness can justify us and bring us into fellowship with God. This is because the righteousness of Jesus is never tainted with sin. Instead, the righteousness of Jesus will set us free from every sin and bring us into fellowship with God. And so this righteousness of Jesus is the second benefit we receive when we believe in Jesus. And we need these two benefits to be saved. The freedom from the judgment of God and the righteousness to be in fellowship with God. So friends, if you long to be free from the moral decay that you see inside you, If you long to live in the forever kingdom, ruled by the forever king, then you must put your trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Believe in Jesus for for his gift of righteousness. And you will find joy and peace and meaning in this world and in the world to come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, for his death and resurrection. For he has fulfilled all the promises you made to your people. So please grant us new life in Christ. And by the power of your spirit, transform us to be the holy people that you want us to be. And may we always rejoice in what Christ has done for us, the forgiveness of our sins, and the righteousness that brings us into your favor. Help us to point others to Jesus so that they too can rejoice in the message of salvation. In his name we pray. Amen.